Uh, We start into a bit of a new section. Remember, Paul has three guiding values that he's going to give this church, uh, a church that was chaotic in his worship. These are three things that will help them bring it under, bring it into control so that uh, God would be glorified. In verses 1 through 13, he laid out the idea of edification as being necessary or building in the church. Uh, Near the end of this morning's sermon, uh, we began to see another one of the guiding principles or values of Paul in worship, and I called it mutual understanding or intelligibility. Uh, In other words, people need to understand what's going on if they're going to gain any value from their worship, from our worship. In the specific context here, Paul is showing that unintelligible tongues offers no potential for spiritual growth. Uh, It might create quite a show or an experience or distraction, but no one will be changed. Perhaps they'll be inflated, but not changed. And so Paul will make it explicitly clear in verses 14 through 25, the next passage here, the next few statements, uh, in the verses that follow, that there's a need for intelligibility in the body. Let me read these verses for us. I'm only going to cover one of the two paragraphs in front of us this evening. The other one will be next week. But look in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church come together and all speak in tongues and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or or, or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So these are the two passages that we will look at in the next few uh, sermons uh, this evening and the next Sunday morning. To me, one of the keys in understanding what's going on in these passages, probably one of the most critical keys I give you at the beginning, is I believe that Paul is talking about the need for intelligibility to impact other people. I think that he especially has in mind Uh, The ability to impact a believer, verses 14 through 19. And then he focuses especially on unbelievers in verses 20 
through 25. Notice down in your Bibles, verse 16, he says, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Here Paul talks about an outsider in this first paragraph. And I, I want to be able to uh, perhaps prove to you this evening that I think that the outsider, the person in the place of an outsider, is a, either a visiting believer that was visiting the church of Corinth or was a believer who was unskilled or ungifted in tongue speaking. So they're an outsider. The, the question is just what are they outside of? Are they outside of the church? Regionally, are they believers? I think it's a believer, the outsider, but I think it may be either a visiting believer or an unskilled or ungifted uh, believer. There are a few reasons why I think that. Uh, one of the reasons, uh, I, I basically think that this word unskilled, which is the Greek word, uh, the, I'm sorry, the word outsider, which is a Greek word idiotos, um, is a, a word that the Corinthian believers may have coined or used to describe people who were not gifted like they were. Uh, they are an outsider to the gifts that we have. Uh, some of the reasons I think this may have originally been a Corinthian title is because this word that stands behind this word outsider is only found in the Corinthian epistles. This word outsider, as found here, is found three times in this chapter. We're going to see it again and again. And then it's found once in 2 Corinthians. So this is a word that Paul only uses with the Corinthian church. He doesn't use it with any other assembly. Another reason why I think that this originally may have been something the Corinthians coined. They're idiotos. They're outsiders. They're unskilled or ungifted is because when it is used in 2 Corinthians, it's used to the Apostle Paul. Go over there for just a second in your Bibles. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 4. Uh, our scripture reading uh, this, this evening uh, and this morning, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the Grace Spotlight, Mission Spotlight, had the word outsider in it, but that's a different word. This is a rarer word, a unique word that I think the Corinthians were using. Some of the Corinthian tongue speakers, perhaps, were using it to describe people who were not gifted in ways they were. Look at 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 4. Paul says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to these super apostles. Okay, there were some other people in Corinth who were ministering that, that, that perhaps identified themselves or were identified by the Corinthians as super apostles. Paul says, though, he's not inferior to them. But look at the next words, verse 6. Even if I am unskilled in public speaking. The word unskilled there is the same exact word. Even if I am an idiot in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. I think that there were some within the Corinthian assembly who were, were claiming that even Paul the apostle was unskilled 
or ungifted when it came to rhetorical performance, preaching, teaching. His letters, they say, are weighty, but his physical presence is of no account, and his speech is detestable. Okay. And so, uh, to me, what I think is going on in this passage, you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in the paragraph that we're going to look at this evening, verses 14 through 19, when Paul talks about the position or the person who's in the place of an outsider, I might actually translate it something more like the New American Standard says, the person who's in the place of an ungifted, an ungifted person or an unskilled person. Paul's concerned then in this text for, I, I believe, a believer who might not be gifted in tongues. And so Paul says, you know what, if that unskilled person who's visiting the assembly or doesn't speak in tongues like you and, and you get up there or you get it and you start speaking in tongues, how is this person going to be able to say amen? How is he going to be able to gain any value at all? Paul is concerned for believers in verses 14 through 19. In verses 20 through 25, I think he's primarily concerned there with the effect of tongue speaking in the church on unbelievers. That's what we will address next week. But look, look in your Bible, just to whet your appetite, verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and I'll speak in tongues and outsiders, I think those are ungifted believers, or unbelievers enter, I think Paul has two different people in mind here, Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called into account by all, and the secrets of his hearts are disclosed. We won't keep reading there, but uh, then I believe in verses 20 through 25, Paul is worried about or concerned about the effect of uninterpreted tongues on unbelievers who would visit the assembly. They see you doing that sort of stuff, they'll think you're crazy. And so uh, this evening, what I want to do is just briefly work through verses 14 through 19 with you. First here, Paul says that believers must understand what's going on in the church if they're going to be edified in verses 14 through 19. Here, Paul counsels the Corinthian believers about the need for outsiders to understand what they're doing in corporate worship. Because original counsel comes in verses 14 through 17. So look down there in your Bibles and, and we'll start reading through this. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing, with, sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving? when he does not know what you are saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person, I think this is the outsider, visiting believer or the unskilled believer, is not being built up. In the first few verses here, Paul considers praying in an unknown tongue. It is praying in a tongue that neither the hearers nor the speakers understand, and he seems to consider whether there is any value to that sort of thing at all. Any value to pouring your heart out to God in a prayer that you don't understand in your own human spirit. That's why I take verse 14. You look down in your Bibles at verse 14 when he talks about praying with my spirit. 
He puts a little word my in front of spirit. This is not him talking about the Holy Spirit. I think he's talking about the human spirit, the, the internal part of a human being. And he contrasts that with our mind, another part of our human being. And so Paul begins to entertain whether or not there's any value to praying you know, from this internal part of our inner spirit without our minds understanding what's going on at all. One commentator helped us here, his name is David Garland, and he he writes this. He said, I'm inclined to think that in the context, my spirit refers to Paul's innermost, deepest depths. And so Paul explains here, I think, in, in verse 15, that it is much better to pray not only from the depths of our internal being, but to do so with understanding and to do so in a way that we're comprehended, uh, people can comprehend us for what we're saying. Uh, In verse 15, I think the phrase there, it says that uh, means at the beginning of this that Paul will pray in ordinary languages in ways both his mind and spirit can uh, participate. So Paul is not saying here that there are times when he prays with his spirit only, my opinion. He's not, not saying that, and that there are times that he prays with his mind only, but that he is determined that both his internal spirit and his mind would be engaged when he prays. In verse 15, he takes that illustration and he moves it to another arena and he talks about singing and singing in a way in which his mind would be engaged. And that's Paul's preference as well in the corporate assembly, that we would sing not only from the depths of our internal being, our spirit, but also have our minds engaged so we know that what we're singing. This leads Paul to consider the ramifications of praying, singing, or praising God in a language that an outsider doesn't understand. Look down again in your Bible at verse 16. He says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, uh, which means if you praise God with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving? For he does not know what you're saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not built up. Here in verse 16, Paul does not want the Corinthians to speak in uninterpreted tongues because outsiders, unskilled or ungifted believers, will not be able to say amen to that. Uh, The word amen that's used here is a very interesting word. If you you do a word study on this, uh, the word in Hebrew, guess how you pronounce the word in Hebrew? Amen. Guess how you pronounce the word in Greek? Amen. Guess how you pronounce this word in just about any language I could look up on Google Translate? Amen. Amen. Uh, What happens with this word is uh, there's originally a Hebrew word, and Paul and the writers of the New Testament just transliterate. They just compose it. Just move it over to Greek, and they use the same amen. I think in doing that, God has led in a certain way so that in just about any language, you could be listening to someone pray in a different, different language, hear them in French or German or something, you're kind of following along, and then 
Very last word, amen. Like, oh yeah, I got that one. I got that one. Well, the word amen, of course, uh, going back to the Hebrew, simply means um, true. It's true, or truly. It uh, means that you are strongly affirming what you have just heard. Whether it's a blessing put on someone, or a curse put on someone, or a word of truth, you say amen to respond to that. I want to show you this in the Old Testament, just for a moment, before we eat the hot dogs. Uh, go back to Deuteronomy, right? While you do, I should probably make some joke about the law of Moses, but uh, I won't do that in hot dogs, okay? So uh, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27. I want you to just see how this Hebrew word is used, and I want to consider its implications here in the passage. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 27, there's a list of curses here that were to guide the children of Israel. In verse uh, 16, it says, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Verse 18, Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people, Moses shall say, amen. This word is a word that the children of Israel were to uh, articulate that would mean that they strongly agreed with the statement, the blessing, the curse, the word of truth that was proclaimed to them. Now, just go over quickly, since you're in the Old Testament, go to Nehemiah chapter 8 for a second. Go to Nehemiah chapter 8. And uh, you'll see this again. It'll be worth it. Go to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Of course, the book of Nehemiah is about the rebuilding of the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And when things are being restored, they come upon a copy of the law of Moses. And Ezra the scribe reads the book of the law to the people. Uh, Look in your Bibles at Nehemiah 8 and verse 5. Nehemiah 8, 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Men and women in both the Old and New Testament, when people wanted to voice a strong word of affirmation, they said amen. So uh, a little aside here, it's okay for you to say amen in our worship services. But, but yeah, thank you. But go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's okay for you to say amen in our worship services, but that's only when you understand what the preacher is saying, and you can affirm it. Okay. One of my pet peeves is when a preacher will ask the congregation to say amen right after something. So, uh, and so I, I've just seen this. You say, amen, and everyone says amen, and then someone will look around and be like, uh, what are we saying amen to again? <laughs> okay, that's exactly not what we should be doing. Amen is a word of affirmation. You agree with the preacher. You agree with the word that has been given. So Paul asked in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 14, how can an unskilled or an ungifted believer voice agreement to something that they can't even understand? So if a tongue speaker is communicating with a disengaged mind, outsiders won't understand them. Paul's making the point here that clear communication is important for edification in the gatherings of the local assembly. And I think that this impacts us in many different ways if we think, stop and think about it. Uh, some of the ways I think we try to manifest this in our own assembly is, you know, in, in our worship services, I try to avoid lingo or uh, let, let's say, for instance, I, I try to avoid like abbreviations for things that will mean nothing to a guest. You notice, and I, I fail in this sometimes, I try to avoid, you know, calling everything by initials, okay? Uh, let me just ask you, how's a guest supposed to respond to this announcement? Uh, if you're enjoying one of our ABSs or CBSs, you might want to consider the BSFS is that meet in our building as well. Uh, well, many of us are members here, and we might know what some of those things stand for, but a guest, even a visiting believer who comes here and who hears that, probably will have no idea what's going on. It probably won't be too uncomfortable. They'll be uncomfortable. You know, you can see a man leaving and say, Honey, we are not going back to that church. Those people are M-A-D in their B-R-A-N-S-S-S's, and we are not heading back there. I mean, I think the point that the Apostle Paul is making is that visiting believers should feel that they belong in your gatherings. So don't speak in a language that no one can understand. This also informs how we use our Bibles in our services. I don't, for instance, stand up here and uh, read a portion of Scripture in Latin or Aramaic or Greek or Hebrew. And the reason I do that is I do not suspect that many of, many of us would gain much value from that at all. Amen. <laughs> oh, boy. We're going to hear this quite a bit, I'm afraid. I guess it's better than the alternative. Uh, this also, it, it also won't help us to use English translations that are uh, so dated that people don't get much out of them. I think this is why Tyndale, right? Why Tyndale, William Tyndale, got involved in translation work. He wanted Bibles so that even the plowboy could understand the Scripture. And so Colonial Baptist Church, we use faithful, reliable English translations that reflect the Greek and the Hebrew, yet communicate in everyday language. Now, going back to the text, look down in verse 17. And there Paul explains that the Corinthian church may be giving thanks well enough. You see this? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. This verse is a little bit more difficult for us, and it could, the first part of the verse could go one in two ways. Translations take it different ways. It may be that Paul is being uh, sincere here. And you could translate that first part, for you may be giving thanks well, Okay, so if, if, you're, if you're following in the text, you're trying to figure out, you know, he's, he's talking about a group of people who are praising God, but doing so in a way that their minds disengage. 
And so some people say this, you know, Paul, Paul might be saying, well, you're giving thanks well. Or you could take this first phrase ironically like the ESV does in its translation. That's the way I like to take it. And so if you read the ESV translation, um, it says, for you may be giving thanks well enough. And it's kind of being sarcastic here. Paul's being sarcastic with the Corinthians, and that's how I would take this. Uh, But the main point is the Corinthians were missing out on the key human reason for their gatherings. The other person is unaffected. I mean, regardless of how you take that little phrase, it's the next part of the verse that's ultimately really uh, important. The other person is not being built up. Again, we see Paul's emphasis on edification. Now, what I want to do in just our last four minutes here, I want to look at Paul's conclusion. His conclusion comes in verses 18 and 19, and we're going to be able to go pretty quickly through these two verses, but look in your Bible at verse 8. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Here, Paul's personal conclusion regarding the importance of instruction at corporate gatherings is that intelligible words, words that people can comprehend, are far better, far, far better than something that is confusing and that people can't understand. As we come to these verses, it's really only verse 18 that causes us, uh, causes us any sort of challenge to understand. In verse 19, Paul explains that even a few intelligible words, words you can understand, are better than excessive amounts of mysterious words. As we look in verse 18, Paul seems to be challenging the Corinthians at their own game here. He says, uh, I speak in tongues more than you all. I think Paul is saying here that he has the gift of tongues and that perhaps he uses it more frequently than any of the Corinthians. Like I said, he's, he's saying, I can beat you at your own game. I speak in tongues more than you all. There's a commentator that helped me in this text a little bit. His name is Robert Thomas. And he explains this phrase this way. He says, as the missionary apostle to the Gentiles, Paul frequently encountered new linguistic groups in his travels. And so what Thomas is saying is because Paul traveled all around and he met all kinds of different people with different dialects and languages that perhaps God gave Paul the gift of tongues so that he could communicate the gospel clearly to people in their own known language. And so if that is the case, what Paul is saying here is if you want to talk about the gift of tongues, I can say that I use the gift of tongues more than any of you all. The Corinthians themselves might not have many opportunities to speak the gospel clearly to people in a known foreign language. When Paul did communicate in this way, however, he preferred speaking in such a way that uh, people understood what he was saying. A known language, not some unintelligible nonsense. Paul is here explaining that the edification of the body of Christ is of far more value than any amount of of exalted religious 
experience. I would rather speak five words that people can understand than a thousand eloquent words that no one can get. And so as we close this evening, may God give us wisdom and grace as a church as we interact with those who visit our gatherings. We pray that those who come will be built up by the clear teaching of God's word. We need comprehension, understanding, intelligibility in our gatherings. And we pray that we do not stand in the way of the clear communication of the text of Scripture, or that we as a church would never be content simply with eloquence or rhetorical flair or high church polish if it means that no one can understand what we're saying. This is one of the reasons as a preacher that I think it's really important to study the Scriptures a lot. Any preacher who's, or teacher who stands up here should study, study, study so that they can present the text clearly. And the point for me is this is where the power of God is. I want to know it well so that I can open it up, help people understand it so that they can follow in their Bible and then close it and trust God to do something with his word. I don't want to do anything that would hinder a person, even a visiting believer, from being able to follow clearly in the text of Scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm thankful for the gospel that we have received. I'm thankful for the clear teaching of Scripture. I'm thankful, Lord, that you give us the Holy Spirit as believers in Jesus Christ that can help us understand the truths of Scripture. I'm thankful even for the text that we look at this evening where the Apostle Paul is, is asking the question how people will be able to affirm what we're saying if they can't understand us. And so, Father, although the gift of tongues has ceased and we, we're no longer concerned about that, we come before you this evening and we ask that you would allow there to be clarity from, from this pulpit. We pray that you would allow for Colonial Baptist Church to be able to enjoy clarity in our song services, the worship that we gather. I pray, Lord, that there be clarity as we communicate with each other around the gospel of Jesus Christ so that uh, if someone were a guest and they were visiting, or they knew Jesus Christ, they would be able to say, Amen. That's truth. And be built up in the faith. Lord, we thank you for these clear teachings, and we pray that you would bless Colonial in this way for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.